Welcome back to the Data-Driven Real Estate Podcast, the podcast for real estate professionals dedicated to driving business using data. I'm Mayor Norris, along with Sean O'Toole with Property Radar, and welcome to episode 42. This week, we have Tommy Christie. He is CEO of Alpine Holdings, Inc. and owner of ilovehouses.com, an acquisition company nationwide uh, who buys through digital advertising and online media platforms. Tommy has over a decade's worth of real estate experience, 500 million in investment activity, and even acquired, renovated, and leased over 2,700 homes as part of Invitation Homes back in the day. He's also done over 1,000 foreclosures and distress flips personally. So Tommy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And you still, after all of that, you still love houses. That's amazing. I, just, I adore them. They make me happy. I love rentals. I love houses. I sort of want to, what's interesting is I've talked more about the invitation home sector over the last uh, couple of years than I thought I would. Um, there's a lot of misconceptions of what they did in the market at the time. Um, I know a lot of Main Street real estate investors. We were going to the courthouse steps and we're very upset with you guys because you guys were buying under a very different formula that, that we could do yeah. on Main Street. Um, can we talk a little bit about that experience and how you even ended up there? Yeah. I, um, for one second. I just want to back up for, because we've got lots of people out there okay. watching. Like most people don't know who Invitation Homes is or why it was important or the impact they had during the foreclosure crisis. So let's start with that, if you don't mind, Tommy. Yeah, no problem. I, so um, starting there, Invitation Homes was, you know, a player in the um, institutional space of trying to create what multifamily had institutionalized and to the single family world. So, um, you know, Waypoint, American Homes for Rent. Um, uh, there was quite a, what's that? Colony. Quite a few players there that ultimately saw a clear opportunity. And that opportunity could be quantified as, you know, high yield rent, higher the uh, multifamily became very, very scheduled. Like you can take stuff down to a LA four cap, you know, because they know nothing really changes inside. you got maintenance schedule, you have everything inside your lending. Single family never had that. It was a very, very sparse, you know, you know separated markets. So uh, I think Buffett first said it, he said, Hey, if I could buy a hundred thousand houses right now, I would. And that sparked just enough of the people who have that kind of money to say, how do we organize talent and how do we organize a model and institutionalize that? And there was a lot of fear behind that. And there was a lot of excitement behind that. And out of um, invitation homes being funded by the largest private equity firm in the world, it's, it's kind of like an easy target kind of approach to it. Like they were like a lot of articles were written about invitation homes when in reality it was more about an industry. So they created, you know, there's a single family rental industry as it is. And that is really what quantifies invitation homes is how can we build, manage, maintain, and organize and, and, and capitalize on this opportunity, which was the 2008 recession. Yeah. And that so, didn't exist, right? Like yeah. large scale ownership of single family homes as rentals, as an asset class for institutional investors did not exist before that. No. So you got to be right in the front lines of that. Yeah. Out of let's fear. talk about, yeah, let's, let's go back to, you know, so, how you got prior, started in the business before and then how you got that invitation. Great point. From uh, 2002, uh, I got a job selling coupons out of college in a management training program. And then uh, I learned how to knock on doors and that added a lot of value to sales and the generality of, of 
how personal real estate is. And, and then I was picked up by a local foreclosure company to do that, essentially set appointments for people who understood what they needed to do once they got the appointment. And so fast forward into 2008, I had begun doing my own buy, fix and sell stuff. And I was on a list of people you know, really doing enough volume that they could be recommended by Fidelity National Title Company. Fidelity was the major title provider for the invitation homes model at that time. And all those powers that be said, I'll refer you to the people I think that could really help you guys build this. And I was on that list with uh, Daniel Claiborne. um, And the two of us interviewed for it. I think there was probably at least five of us that had done that. And they were looking in for the Sacramento region in Northern Northside. California. Great point. Northern California. Okay. And there were the Bay area was its own region. Sacramento okay. was its own region. And, but at the time we just, we had, they had already were driving. It was like, you know, flying, you know, flying the plane while you're building it. So the, <laughs> the immediate need to uh, place capital is just so evident. Like they were like, we have to get product in, you know, inside of this buy box I think that's where you started, Aaron, was like, how and why is that nobody's going to build a home for $80 a square foot, including all impact fees and all of the you know horizontal infrastructure. You don't go vertical in Southern California, Northern California, or some of these other markets. So we're buying assets under the replacement cost, easily financed, and the demand for rental housing was shooting, you know, straight up. So three easy factors there. And they basically said, and it actually was less about me. It was like, can I not lose my money in Northern California? You know, like that was almost like the angle of, because everybody got hurt in 08. It doesn't matter what level you were at. You got hurt some one way or another, and then you bounce back, you know? So I think there was a fear part of that. I saw Waypoint was a great company and they were building before we were. And I got scared. I'm like, Blackstone's coming and I'm going to be out of business. So we worked it out and it was way better, bigger, and different than I ever had anticipated. What channels were you buying in? It was foreclosures, trustee sale. Would you buy anything in any channel? Yeah. So that was, that's a really great question. I, I had immediate need to, I had an immediate ability to take down the trustee sale files. I think that's what really appealed them. I had, you know, I had people in five counties. Some guy started a program called Property Radar and leveled the field. And um, and I had, now everybody was there because data was so available. And um, I looked at it from, they were swimming in a pool that I was not. I was not buying 1990 or newer stuccos, tile roofs. Like the easy ones were going to people that were better financed than I was. I was doing, you know, rurals or fixers and, you know, dirt, dirty title stuff, anything, but our volume was high. So in nine, 2009 and 10, we were into Vegas, Phoenix, California. We were able to place capital relatively competitively, you know, like meaning the margins were still very reasonable before they had compressed. And so when I, they, they said, can you get us product? Is there stock in the market? And the answer was yes. So we were locking up short sales. People were closing on short sales, you know, that were six months and the market was advancing and we, they would close like 200. We would close at like 250. And then we'd be so afraid that someone's going to write an article about how 
seven days later, we're paying 50,000 bucks more for a short sale that took six months to negotiate. Very PR unfriendly, you know, for us, like, like we're overpaying for something when in reality, like where we started at 80 bucks a foot, we are not overpaying for this product right now. You know, like, well, having competed against uh, the likes of you uh, on the trustee sales side, you know, a lot of local Main Street investors were scratching their heads like, these guys are going to get hosed. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Pissing everybody off because your formula was so different. Because, yeah. you know, at one time we had to calculate how much it was going to go down in the amount of time that it took us to rehab and flip the property. So that's a really weird formula. It's not yeah, like a great point. 70% minus repairs. Oh yeah. And every month the price is going to go down 3%. <laughs> that is so, yeah, it's very relative. And, and I think that's what changed for me. I, I spent investor management is at least 15% of any flip business. You know, you're like, let's just say a deal came through. How am I going to finance that? You know, uh, is it for me? Is it a partnership deal? Are we equity sharing with somebody else? Like what, what works for this deal? Not every deal. They're all deals. And some of them are cheap and some of them are expensive. You're in the Bay Area. You're doing a $700,000 takedown and a million dollar exit. Those are completely different than buying a $70,000 house that you can. I mean, we were selling condos in Vegas for 25 for 25 grand. That tells you that there was enough margin in that, that I made money somehow buying it cheaper than that and selling it. Like you could buy, just like your dad has said more than a hundred times, like you can buy condos in Vegas for less than a Honda Civic. Like that was 2010. So yeah, the, the world came back in full cycle and um, as you know, it, I, it was different. I definitely remember all the calls I got as, as a uh, invitation Blackstone, um, you know, Colony Waypoint started to operate in these Colony. markets and, um, you know, people are like, these guys are overpaying and it's shutting down the opportunity. And it, I have to admit at first, I didn't understand it either. Yeah, and then once I understand that they were buying to rent and I went, wait a second, you know, right now at these prices, the, the rent was 10, 12, 15% return on investment. Yeah. And I believe, I think most of these guys had a target of 7% or better. So they're like bid it up until it's at 7%. Yeah. The market's at 12%. I mean, that's all, it's, it's tens of thousands of dollars more, $100,000 more than anybody else in the market would buy to flip it. But their, their goal wasn't to flip it. And, and all these auction investors had been buying to flip versus buying to rent. And I just... It was like once that light bulb went off, it went. I went, wow, and, and you know, it it's also like, told me. I, I think I wrote a bunch of articles right at that time saying prices are about to go way up. Yeah, and what what year would you say that was? Was that that thirteen, twelve kind of mark, fourteen range? I think uh, the first started getting the first signs of it in ten, eleven, because yeah. it was in. It was in April of 2010 that I said the foreclosure market's going to come to an end um, and uh, I need to start working on broadening beyond foreclosures to all yeah. properties and to other things. So that was in April 2010, but our foreclosure business didn't peak until 2013. Sure. And that so was, was ours. That My 12 was our biggest year. I. I'd created 
a simple product that was anything in California under 60 grand, I'll buy it. It didn't matter. Like, I don't care how ugly it was or where it was. I, it was financeable and the rents would always cover it. And that I had a private money lender that would, that totally agreed. And I would buy six, eight, 10 of those, put a $600,000 loan on it, get all the money moving back at trustee seal. And the, the, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So imitation homes came and they're like, Oh no, move the combo. Like we could do $360,000 rentals. And my mind's like, <laughs> that doesn't make sense right now. You know, like, like, I'm Get so much money. smarter okay. than you, you know, but and it turns out they were right. And they gave me a giant spreadsheet that said, prove this biggest spreadsheet headache thing. You're gonna have to do every single night out. Prove this is correct. And that was the model. The model was at one point in time, everything that is going to auction today will be worth what it was worth when they did a loan on it. Yeah. So when is that? And so they told me three to five years. And you better believe I kept looking for articles about when are we going public? When are we doing this? Like, because in my mind, I thought three to five years, the whole world would be turned right back on again. Perfect. And I thought people were late to the market. And I could name a hundred funds started after 2015 that have a billion dollar net worth. You know, the world has shifted and there is a hoarding effect that are going on to these rentals. And the news feels like it's this percentage of the market, but it's still, you know, this small percent of the rental market. It's people move out of their house and keep it. And they're doing the rental laws in California. I don't know what it is nationally. Kind of similar to the fact that people want to be able to keep their home and not be held to the same standard that a large rental fund is held to. Like, it's just about the dollar. Like when you're doing one rental to one person or one family, um, it's a, just, it's a different model. It's financed differently. It's, and it's creating wealth for families and, people, and the small investor. You have so many different, interesting things to talk about. I definitely wanted to cover <laughs> that. I think I want to make sure we spend a lot of time on you, but maybe we can do that by saying, what did you learn at invitation homes that you carried over into your own brand? So, you know, invitation homes is like moving the, the comma twice, if not three times. Like, so for the small investor and other, um, you find your niche and, and sometimes you're not working enough on your business to know that your niche has expired. Like, oh, foreclosures are going away. Like I'm still here at the, why is there no one else at the auction right now? Cause there's nothing going to sale. You know, you show up now and there's 10 of us of which Sean left the secret out. There's only one today, like, and everybody knows where it is and what's going on and where it's being posted. And I think when I talked to Sean before about this was that you saw some pretty crazy stuff going down in the foreclosure world and people had different niches and ways to do it. And it's still very, you could be an attorney and cry it at your auction, at an auction at your office, if you wanted to be, you know, or the sheriff's office or wherever you want to cry a sale. So the foreclosures kind of went away and I now classify myself as a um, distressed real estate investor. And um, you still do that, but you have started seeking other, right. Which is what in April, 2010, I said, is that's what we're going to need. We're going to need other ways to look for properties. Yeah. And and you were right. And I hope I aired, I kind of got off track there. I hope I nailed your question. Well, it just, uh, it's interesting to come from that background. You probably saw some things that helped them scale and uh, you sort of oh, learned yes. on their dime. So what did you learn from that experience and bring over into I Love Houses? So I would say that 
inside of the larger institutional model, the fear goes away. Uh, when it's your money and it's one deal at a time, uh, you don't worry about where the money's coming from. I mean, I had treasury management to do every night. And when we would lose cashier's checks, which any foreclosure guy understands you do, like I can tell you competitors that have washed them in their pants, you know, like you just washed $400,000. Did you forget you had $400,000 in your pocket? It's a cashier's check, right? It's not, yeah, it's a cashier's check. And you have to check. bond out of that. And I would have, so at night I would have to say, you gave me 400 cashier's checks to go to five locations at three different auction times, you know, and if the stack is this big and it's $8 million, you know, like how did you spend that money today? And then I would have to spend more time. We actually had people that were in treasury management inside of our, like from the bookkeeper side, we had a local CFO, you know, and then it goes to national and the, you know, the brand shifts and it's significantly different. So, um, when you're a dude doing a deal and one deal at a time or four and a quarter or other, you learn like, what is my buy box? How do I live within that buy box? Still find stuff, manage the cost of money, you know, cause that becomes super relative. And when I was at invitation, people would call you, they would read an article about you and say, you guys want to buy my house? And so we had a sheet. There was, and then people called Blackstone. People called Black Rock because they didn't know the difference between Black Rock and Blackstone. And yeah. Blackstone, and they, they were like, "Well, how do we capitalize on this?" And maybe they funded, you know, Colony or other. I don't know where their money came from, but I, it was. It's just a. It's a completely different mindset when you don't have that fear factor. I mean, our fear, you know, it would be my buddy Dan and I, we because we, we were, we would get there and the we would have to have the money out by four forty five in order to get a drive list in the morning to the Bay area and you can get Solano County still in time. We can get the money back to San Joaquin County. And we, we would just be rotating the bodies. And we had a, a phrase called, you say, bye, bye, bye. Don't buy that. You know, it's like this whole, like this vague, you know, you feel like they're going to hold it against you for what you're going to buy. Like and your job will be judged based off of that success or that failure uh, because we were going so fast. So in October of 12, we had a day where we bought over 40 houses in one day, you know, and you're like, okay, so <laughs> let's, you know, we have people that change the locks and then you have vacant houses. Now we're so afraid of the world writing an article about how we're mismanaging our houses that we've now owned for 72 hours, you know, like it was vacant for seven years or four years, you know, and right. So it was a different model. And um, it's. I look at how the rent is bonkers here in Sacramento right now. And we're getting a giant Bay Area effect, um, which goes all the way up into the Tahoe region of people affecting the prices and the rents and the other. And I, Invitation Homes said, it's going to be worth this one this much someday and it'll rent for this much someday. And when you see that on a spreadsheet times a thousand, it's not relative to anything you and I will do. You're, you're just, you don't, I, you never think about borrowing a billion dollars against your portfolio, you know? So it's just, it's not relative when you're looking at it and they hire analysts, right? And that's the approach as if you had a person good enough that they can go out there and flip 12 houses at a time, they're not going to be an analyst for $40,000, you know? So that's why the model 
matured and you got a lot of good people and then people the in, actually the salary started going up too so to get a great acquisitions guy and to get a you know someone that it's totally worth their while that when they turn off their phone at five o'clock you know like it's off you know the it's a standard hr by the time i left i had 90 employees and i was they basically said you got to have maybe 75 by the time you were gone and because you build up to deal with problems you have much like multifamily, you have a person dedicated to HOAs and dedicated to you know the uh, the taxes and the issues of code enforcement and, and go along with it and others. So it's it was way different and way better. Um, you way- worked on the management side, not just the acquisition side. You actually managed them and rented them and 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 did the property management side too. Yeah, and I I would have to get into the dirty evictions, and I would have to, and so people would come in and be very upset about you name it, uh, bugs in the rentals or, and they, it would surface up to, uh, you know, like a, a, a surface level of, I had to get involved at the same time. I'm on, you know, two hour conference calls to New York or two hour conference calls to Dallas, our home office and yeah. trying to deal with everything comes up with being a property manager, you know, the responsibilities of spending, you know, millions of bucks and trying to find product. And that was, can you get enough? How do you incentivize people on MLS? You know, how do you manage people bringing you stuff direct and the conflict of, you know, not being your own broker yet? And how do you lease stuff? And it was a really interesting. It still is. I, all of those companies, I think, have appreciation to run. I don't, I think they're going to hit a, they're going to hit a real issue with their yield targets. You know, they can't keep buying forever. That's why build to rent is just blowing up. But, right. So you, you mentioned went, earlier it was buy, 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 and then don't buy. Don't buy that. Don't uh, buy that house. Like you can't you buy it. With, have a, you have a story you've shared there with me before. I don't know if you're willing to share it. But one that you bought and uh, it, it got you branded a little. Yeah. So uh, there is a very reasonable amount of ego that goes into the auctions. And uh, Sean had mentioned a guy that almost had a, like, a, it's like the gamble. Right. You know, some people look at it as an investment and some people just really love the chase and the deal. And, you know, trustee sales are a riot for that because you, if you go the extra mile, if you're following 20 sales versus 200 and you door knock everything, you know, they're vacant and other people don't, or, you know, the people in there have already broken every fixture in there or other, you can kind of make some, a lot more educated decisions as you go. You and um, pants on, and it's it is feels like gambling down there. Yeah, it does. And people, so so the very first week we did this, it was it was the best week for us because nobody knew it was me. I didn't tell anybody, and they're like, "Christy, somebody came to the auction day, bought seven houses." I'm like, that is rude. Those people are rude. They need to not come here. And I'm like, that's me. I just bought those. So if you didn't notice the mailing address on every single one of those is the same. Like I still get mail for our California entities here and I'm just forwarded over, but, um, so I bought, uh, there were guys in the Bay area were running us up just because they knew we would probably just keep buying. They felt like if I overpaid, uh, they would, I would leave. You'd go and, away. Yeah. Like it's just numbers on the spreadsheet. They don't understand that. Like it was, it's a three bedroom, two bath, 1300 square feet. And you're paying 330,000 bucks. for it. Like, and in our world, it's a five hundred fifty thousand dollars house. It's it's not worth three thirty. You think it's worth three thirty, because you're looking at in the next ninety days standard flip model. We're looking at you're looking at the cap rate. Nine going, years. It's worth five fifty. 
it's worth 550. Like it should never be worth 330. Like there are people are gainfully employed in the Bay Area. There are jobs and there's a shortage of housing and it's impossible to develop. So, and we weren't looking at it as 550, but we just knew I could pay 107% of its value and not offend our model. It's, it's, it won't be a problem at all. As long as I could stay within, can I pay the mortgage, the yield? And so one of the guys was running this up and he was bidding on a 50 acre single family in Solano County. So I ran him up and I bought it. I bought a single family on 55 acres. And I want to say like, and the rents were high. The purchase price was low. It was very reasonably close to developable land. But we always heard about imitation, right? Like it has to be like a three-two single single story, like trying box, to keep that really box. tight buy box. Yeah. This is way outside of that buy box. This is it? way outside of the buy box. So I nobody, uh, I would so we had regional guys. Some of them were the founders, you know, and these guys would show up and they just need to say, Hey, I was in their region, great people, great, you know, great organization. They've they're hiring well, they're building this model well. That was their job. And well-run company, and we would they we we would audit the purchases. Like, uh, you can't buy this. You know, like you can't buy this product. That was always the the the, the look you're expecting. Well, when they found out about a 56 acre, 55 acre ranch, you know, home, when I they didn't give me crap about it at first. They were like, you can't buy that. It was just simple. Then they moved on to the next issue we were dealing with. But when I went out to Dallas one time, one of the guys gave me a cowboy hat. So they were I was like the rancher now. Like, and in my world, I'm like. These guys are running us up, like uh, you know. I'm I from just not like a back off, but like uh, I can buy whatever I want, you know. So we bought a forty five hundred square foot rental here in town, and those guys were like, "Well, that's not in your buy box." Like, what's my buy box? Like, it's I have five million dollars in an envelope. You tell me about my buy box. <laughs> Why did you decide to end up leaving? Uh, it was perfectly timed. They, I, I was buying. And then property management when you plateau. And so they, if, if I wanted to stay, I, they would have found a, anybody who wanted, there's still uh, Atlanta's still there. Alicia is still there in Atlanta. And she took on, I just saw an invitation home blurb. She's now got a national role. And um, I was second to go. I want to say Vegas was first. They timed out, you know, they had a very tight buy box, maybe only 1200 houses there total. And um, like, for instance, Tampa was Tampa and Orlando, um, and they were still buying and we weren't. Like it's just the, the the mortgage cycle was different than the trustee sale cycle. So I, she, we got a new COO, and she said, um, "Your wife's pregnant." And I said, "Yeah." So when she do? And I said October fifteenth, and she says, "Okay, I'm going to exit you on the seventeenth. And so my five year vesting, I got to shave almost three years off of it, still get all the upside. Uh, all, but majority of all the upside there. And, and she just knew they were converting to a property management company. Now they're, they still are an acquisitions company, but it could be run national and the volume wasn't there to support my salary and bonus structure. So after your exit, you know, did you immediately launch? I love houses. You know what I, I did, but I didn't do anything with it. I launched it. I took three months off to be a dad and just try and figure out, um, what I was going to do because I had a major identity crisis. Like I've just reached a level of success in a growing region. And like, I could apply that. I could jump on. I think Blackstone was 
was launching a multi, a single family rental loan business at that time. You and they were, you know, there was, there was, well. yeah. And, and <laughs> each of them, I remember, you know, kind of looking at open door thinking you guys relate to the model, you know, years later. And then of course they're a technology company that's growing like crazy. And they're, I, I want to say they got like a multi-billion dollar valuation recently. And, and much like, I don't know everything in the world. I didn't see. Your the skills are, are a perfect fit for going out and helping acquire homes and, and getting them through that process and the rest, right? Like you yeah. got, yeah, so for sure. So I didn't know what I was going to do. And I, to it, I still didn't know. I, I, I still don't know. Like, I guess it's a, uh, you know, I get the shiny object thing going, but doing it in volume was really fun. You know, like it, it's just, but buying a single family house and you can decide whether you keep it for the rest of your life or you, know, you flip, fix and flip it or other was, and being self-employed and, you know, kind of controlling your time and being a dad with like, with young kids, I felt like getting back into, you know, the 65, 70 hour week of trying to build something bigger was not a good fit after doing that. You know, my wife gave me X amount of grace. I, I think I had used up all my husband points at that point in time. So. <laughs> well, kudos to you. I mean, it's not always an easy transition to go from trusty sale buyers and, and my experience are very different from sort of what you've gotten into. Um, going after equity sellers, things like that. So can you yeah. talk a little bit about who you're targeting these days and how? Yeah, great point. Um, recently, I found that, you know, being in, I think it's my 18th year you know, or so doing it. So I've got a lot of great relationships. And the biggest difference for me and what we're targeting now is some regions are actually getting far better yields for us like um, Tampa and Orlando and places where we we could partner with people or we can get reasonable product to just, you know, work off of previous relationships we had built um, to, to move and do the same thing in other markets, but get the necessary yields we need or more the velocity. Because you could turn a house in six months and have a day job and do two deals a year and make a great a great living, a great income, you know, out of that. And our volume right now for what we're targeting with the, you know, digital ad spend and the Google, Google uh, AdWords and, you know, creating that funnel is a bit more about spending money on building the funnel, you know, less, less on buying, sell your house as is, or less on buying the words about sell your house faster. I mean, everybody's looking at how you diversify yourself from it. But if you know your if you know your threshold of what you can spend and what you can manage, currently the constrictions on our market are do you have the staff? You know, do you have a contractor that will allow you to do an extra 10 deals a year? Like do you have the finance you know behind you backing you that you can afford to do that? Are you able to so we target right now, we're just targeting having houses at all, you know, things that we would usually call a $50,000 flip. If you have something available and the market tells you they're not willing to pay you what you think it's worth as is, you can always flip it. So we target just wholesale stuff that's coming through. A lot of people are able to make a buck off of bringing us a transaction, bringing us a deal, pre-market stuff 
Um, we've put out some most recent free stuff, you know, Facebook ads and other the people that you post what you're looking for. And people say, hey, I have a client looking in the following zip code in Simi Valley or, you know, whatever it is. You can actually make money looking at wholesale deals differently because they have a client that's going to take it off your hands or, you know, the yields start to compress to a point where you have that fear kind of kicks back in. But this market is very forgiving right now. Like you don't have prices are going up, plenty of buyers. And so it's it's kind of hard to make a mistake. You're not catching a falling knife uh, like we can in other markets like 2006, 2007. Um, so it sounds like, uh, that's an interesting idea there of like finding, you know, cause there's so little inventory on the market, right? There's quite a few buyers Yeah. by, for those, I mean, you're great at finding off market deals, right? Yeah. That's, that's what you've, you've found thousands and yeah. thousands of deals that were not on the MLS. And so by knowing what people are looking for, by having those buyers, you can go out and look specifically for that. Yep. Fill that gap and 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 make something in between. And the agents and do too. The agents are very fast. Big, yeah, the agents are such a big part of that. Agents and brokers who know exactly what they're looking for. You don't have to explain to them the dynamics of the market or t- you know the buyers that are really just uncomfortable with losing and. Um, you know, I think that politically it will change. I think that um, the key here is liquidity and lending. You know, if for some reason the FHA flip changes deals, like, do I want to wait 90 plus days to close this house when I can sell it right now? Like there's a big, that that actually matters inside the mortgage industry too. So that's how the 3% down conventional came about. FHA buyers. FHA has a rule that you, you, they won't fund a property that was purchased less than 90 days ago. They basically, it's kind of an anti-flip um, rule because they're worried about flippers making money, I guess, or or trying to defraud the FHA. But I think it's a ridiculous rule in a, in a market that's moving quick. And, and in in a world where folks go out and find hoarder homes and other things that FHA wouldn't finance anyways. And then they yeah. go clean them up and get them to a point where FHA can actually finance them because they're now cleaned up and title issues are fixed. Why does it matter? Why is 90 days suddenly some magic anti-fraud number? Yep. And no then sense. so you, you take a buyer and you trace them through the model. Okay. Well, you can't go FHA. You're not a vet, can't go VA. Now, you know, you don't have the down payment. And then there's that, you know, it's like, it becomes, they were incentivizing people with paying you 6,000 bucks for 6% of the purchase price. You know, and when that goes away, there's this huge fear, like, Oh no, like without the buyers, you know, no one's going to buy houses from us if they don't get a free 6% tax write off or credit. And so the financing hasn't matched the emotion of the market and kind of where this stuff is going. And, you know, HOAs will squash deals because you have to get into stuff and you have to be pre-approved by the HOA. There's a lot of weird filters that go into who gets to buy these things. But for right now, you know, if you understand how you're buying it or how you're going to exit out of it, we're, we're taking really tight deals right now that are not penciling tight. Like we have making great money on them because the market's giving us gifts, but it has nothing to do with us. We know the product. It's a 4-2, single story, 1,600 square foot house on a court. But when the market is flying, it could be on the busiest street, you know, the fourth bedrooms upstairs and it's at a seven foot ceiling and people are like, I'll take it. 
Like it's got four bedrooms. You know, like I'm, I want that house. That's my dream house. Like, and suddenly the market's making people, investors feel like we, you know, we are the best investor. I'm the best flipper that's ever lived. You know, like which, that's not. Which markets are you working in right now? Um, I, I would say, uh, so we have uh, 35-ish flips going right now. So that includes stabilization of rentals. Um, I started buying in uh, Memphis and Arkansas and um, Tulsa, you know, places where I found people that wanted to work with us. They just said, you know, I got the contractor based on this. If you're buying rentals or if I got, uh, we can flip stuff together or other, like when we, when we kind of vetted out and you use a Evernote or WhatsApp or whatever to communicate and send photos and have a great process. It's, it really, it brings it tight. Like a lot of people get worried about buying out of state and they're going to get, you can't drive by it. Or so we, I'm probably stabilizing maybe another 10 rentals out of state right now. Uh, That's Tallahassee, Tulsa, um, Memphis, and all the supporting communities into Arkansas that are surrounding Memphis. And I love that stuff. And then I have maybe a dozen full-time flips and flips are at any given stage waiting for occupancy in rehab, pending sale, you know, inside of California. And then we have some in uh, Missouri and Florida and Texas, but actively at least 20 of those are in California right now from San Joaquin up to, um, you know, Northern Butte County. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, um, the, uh, we see so many folks like yourself that have gone and said, you know, I'm going to expand and go to other places besides California because the model that they were using wasn't working. And then you see folks like Aaron Mazzarillo, who we've had on the show, who I saw a post from him on Facebook this morning is like, you know, I'm now not buying it if I can't drive to it in five minutes or something ridiculous. Like, or he's like, Oh, he said, if, if I don't, if I have to look at a map, to see where the city is, I'm not going. <laughs> like I'm not buying it. But um, I'll take so those scraps. I'll take that stuff. Like it's a trailer, and it is a 90 minutes that way, and it is a windy road, and the fire insurance is really challenging. I'm like, how much is it? Like, I'll take it. Like, it. And we've got some amazing deals rural because people are like, I'm not driving all the way out there. You know, like right. Right, right, and you're just the you're the guy willing to go, and that makes the difference. Yeah, yeah, and, and it is. You, maybe I I haven't graduated like you know I say air until that point where I have enough volume that I can eliminate those. But I really like stabilizing stuff like that too. When you get a lower purchase price, it's a whole lot easier to get lending done because you can leave less in the rentals. And I just feel like even the manufactured home industry is not delivering these amazing affordable products that people would hope they are. You know, it's a med- yeah, by the time you get a foundation underneath it and a porch built on it and attach the AC to it and they're covered, it's like it's 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 faster and they have so many benefits they offer in the world. But there's so much demand, you can't blame them for not taking the yeah. the cash, right? Like, so the the promise was there. I think the promise still is there that it could be a lot less um, expensive. But you know, somebody's looking at okay, I've got I'm going to spend three hundred dollars a square foot for site built, right? Oh, but I can get this product over here and I can get it in half the time. And I'll pay 300 for that. And so if you're the if you're that modular builder, right? You're going, yeah, I'll take your 300. <laughs> you know, it only costs me 100, but sure, let's go. 
Yeah, buyers are finding them that way too. They find out that someone else is selling their manufactured home online. The lending laws are different, and, and there's just so much that goes into just buyers are getting a lot more savvy uh, on what they're trying to find. And um, I, I see a major change, you know, you know, shifting there. That not that we've reached a level. Like I just think that within uh, inflation and the cost of materials and some of these other things, we have a consistent floor that's going with replacement cost that really won't be changing. And I really like that sub 250 market because it's $30,000. Yeah, going to get back. It's yeah, going to be like, very hard to get back there for any of that less expensive market. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of, I, I found a niche in, in doing that too. Didn't Before we came on the show, I think you mentioned you're doing land development as well. You know, so as a distressed real estate investor, you don't really get to choose what you do. Like you, know, you look at it like, I like that deal. I'm going to do that deal. I'm going to buy this house, you know, put an ADU in the backyard and I'm going to sell it. Or I'm going to split off a lot and keep the lot. Or, you know, I have a trailer park that we bought at sale. I, I'm not a trailer park manager by any means, you know, like, but I love it. I love the park. I love the rents. I got a FEMA lease on it, you know? So when, a, when the land came through, we do tax sales too. And uh, it was perfect. It's an L-shaped lot. And the property next door was boarded up. So if I could acquire that, I'd get more density. It was a reasonable you know, purchase price. And I, I really have the opportunity now to exit out of stuff I bought for 30 grand, 1031 into something better. And it's just, it's a perfect opportunity to kind of build the rent. But if I can't afford it, I can at least build the pie, cook it and sell the slices and keep my own little slice of that. And I, that's how I see the development play is I'm not going to be competing with a $5 million piece of land for the builders, but I can bring four, six, eight, fourplexes to market. And there are people who will take that scheduled rent, get a simple Fannie Freddie, you know, loan on there and get a brand new rental. And, and I, you know, it's easy to be part of that when you can, when you're, when you understand uh, the cost associated with it, when you have a team you've built, that'll help you make a, you know, an educated decision. You know, and I think coming almost back to invitation homes, I think this is one of the things that I think so many people missed back then and probably still miss today, right? Is, and and I think to some degree, the politicians miss this too, right? Around like, why are these big, these folks are coming in and stealing the opportunity for home ownership and the rest. And um, it really is kind of a, a simple equation, right? Like, so if you're you built a business and you owned your building, right? And then you retire, you're 70 years old, 65 years old, you retire, you sell the business, the people don't want the building, right? You sell the building and you just want something that is super easy. And, you know, if you get a 4% return warranty on that money, it's probably you know, uh, my mom just sold some property and, and I like I did an analysis, not on her purchase price because it was forever ago, but um, but on the current market value, she had like a one percent return. And I took that property and sold it and put her in a new property that's like a five percent return. But it's a no brainer, whatever. Yeah. It's five times the income for her. Yeah. Right. And people go, oh, I'd never pay a five cap. And you're like, you're not understanding where this other person's coming from. Yeah. And so if you can, if you can recognize, but there's the issue there is they want it to be perfect. They don't want to have, they can't rehab. My mom's, you know, 80, 
for? She's, she's not rehabbing a property, right? She's not doing anything. I could do it for her maybe, but I didn't, I'm busy. I don't have time to do that either. I just want to buy something perfect, done, easy, tenants in place, ready to go turnkey, right? For her. And that, if you look for those things, that's a big opportunity. And that's what I keep hearing from you, right? Is you're seeing these gaps, yeah, and yeah. and when you find those gaps, whether it's right now these buyers that can't find anything, well, let me go find something that maybe they couldn't buy because it, it's not financeable until it's cleaned up, or this issue's taken care of, or this title thing's taken care of. And it's it's not a level playing field because if you look when Florida kept running on trust uh, on auctions, California we were done. You know, right. like there was just not the volume there, and now the mortgage states needed what eighteen months to catch up to that. So when you look at the jobs going to Huntsville, Alabama, and you see conforming multifamily there, which that's my free tip of the world is I love Huntsville, Alabama. You look at these fourplexes that were built as fourplexes and you're like, oh yeah, that here is 800K. That, you know, that product there is still 325. And then it's a scheduled rate of return. And you look at it from the cost segregation study that you're going to do on that and get a giant off, you know, offset of your taxes up front, a bonus depreciation. It's different than your mom's like bonus anything. I got a 10-year warranty on a brand new, you know, fourplex. I look at it as I'm going to take a, you know, I'm taking a existing product and I'm playing a cost. I'm, I'm, I'm actually adding value to my personal income taxes by doing a cost segregation study. And I buy a new rental and I upgrade out of a single family in a reasonable area. And now I got a four family multi-unit delivering return and you get the tax abatement that comes along with cost segregation strategy. Yep. 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 Um, How do you scale? I mean, you do so many different kinds of properties all over the country. How do you scale something like that? You're doing some volume. You know, um, it's transactional. You, 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 grow slowly and people, some people grow too fast. And I would say in 2008, the people who in my, in my industry who got hurt or the people who had unlimited amounts of money and it was purely speculative. So I believe that, you know, right now I bought a four, two single story this week for in, in Sacramento for three fifty. I think it's worth four fifty. So as is, it were rent, I could do, you know, I can get a, a Fannie Freddie friendly loan on that thing. I have a dual exit on this property. When stuff was worth 500 grand at 500 bucks square foot, you know, a new build in some, you know, somewhereville, and the rents are only 2000 bucks, you don't have that, you know, that luxury. So by scaling up slowly and not taking on unnecessary risk, you remain an investor versus an you know, a gambler. Like if you're like, Hey, I foresee the jobs are going to come and they're going to come here to California. Like, okay, you see, you see that, right. Oh, and when Tennessee and Texas are doing campaigns to pull our businesses away, you know, like it's, it's a supply constrained market we're dealing with here. Um, if you are gainfully employed and you want to do a first, your first rental, your 10th rental, your fifth rental, Fannie and Freddie are like, that's fine. Do you have reserves? And how much are you putting down? It's so simple. Have you hired a property manager to handle that for you? They take all the science out of it. So you buy it. The most important, I mean, the most motivating model for me right now is the Burr model, the buy it, 
rehabilitate it, rent it, refinance, repeat model, the Burr model. You hear a lot of it on bigger pockets and with David and then and Brandon. And if you can live in that world and do one deal at a time, you're scaling up your rental business. Or if you can get with the realtors, the agents and the brokers and say, this is very specifically what I'm looking for. If I have to look at 25 deals before we make one offer or make 25 offers before we get one deal, are you willing to work with me on this? And the agents and the brokers will facilitate that growth. And you meet people and you tell them the truth. This is what I love to do. This is how we do this. And people will bring you stuff. So scale is built transactionally unless you are building a business to scale. If your goal is, I got to get to 100 flips, that's a different level of scale. For the relative investor who wants to be an operator inside of this space, do I have the people surrounding me that are going to help me succeed at this construction management, fi- you know, the finance side? Um, it's, it is a big part of rehabilitation and cost of money that will affect your business. If it's all your money and the risk is way less, that's not really you know something I'm looking at from scaling from that standpoint. But for the people who can do one deal a quarter or who are gainfully employed that want to do one rental a year or one rental every six months or something and the Burr deals, that stuff just, you build on your current success and you build on your comfort level. Like I'm not buying 100-year-old re, um, remodels or uh, restoration projects. We're buying... In Arkansas, we're doing 1990 or newer single family houses, sub 20,000 bucks. And they're out there. And people are like, $20,000? Like, did you say 20,000 bucks? Like, 90 or newer. Yeah. Wow. Um, One of the things I think a lot of people, especially that go, oh, I want to buy distressed, is they don't understand, on this is a scale issue, they don't understand how many properties they have to look at to buy one. Right. Yeah. And I used to say when I was in the trustee sale business, I'd look at 50 properties to buy one. Where are you now in that kind of how many things do you look at to buy something? Um, the season we're in in real estate, it's, it's higher ratios. So I would say um, in the MLS world, I tore 25 to 50 for one that I get. Uh, it is. But it does not mean there are no deals on MLS. That is one of the over, you know, the objections you hear. People are like, oh, there's no deals on it. Like, there's just stuff that can't be financed or has hair on it, or people just don't understand the dirt value underneath it. There's so much there that if you're looking at, it, but that is a grind, right? Um, the KPIs associated. That's a, that's a perfect example, though, right? All these people that say there's none of this, yep. right? They're just not understanding the work it takes to find them, yeah. right? I, I mean, I, I, that's so awesome, and it, it, it's it's such a it's such a thing we deal with every day with folks who are like, I called two people and both said they weren't interested. Yeah. And I'm like, call me back when you called fifty, right? Yeah. And well, I go think ahead. that so when you buy your you buy a house on MLS and you beat the system, right? You were the only guy who got a deal on MLS this year. They think you know, right? You're fixing it up. Neighbors will come to you. Like I'm talking a $6 vinyl sign in your front yard. that is like this, Hey, we buy houses. And like people will call that phone number because they're the neighbor. They want to know how much is it going to be sold for? How much did you pay for that? And if you put inside of the data that even radar gives you, it's like, you can find out who all the neighbors are, send them a postcard for 
50 cents each and say, just bought this. You know, we paid 350,000 bucks for it as is with a problem tenant, whatever you want the, you know, the, uh, the message to be, people will acknowledge that you're doing it. And so you, you get the ball really starts rolling on, you know, people there in front of you, they want to work with you. They choose to work with you. And the MLS thing is like, it is a grind. The KPIs for advertising in Indianapolis, it's like 1250 a deal. Like if you pump 3000 bucks into advertising, you're going to get either one or two or three very reasonable deals out of that from what a buddy of mine who's got it seasoned out there is saying. And, but do you know what a deal is in the first place? You're like, oh, Zillow says it's worth 160. <laughs> oh, well, what's it actually worth? You know, like, you know, have you, are you working with someone on your team to do that? So we get inside of advertising, it's more like 80 calls. Um, eight offers and it gets you one to two deals. And, you know, the KPIs there for advertising is more like it's a real win would be $2,500 striking price, you know, per lead that you close on or something, but it's kind of advertising. It's, it's kind of ranging between 3,500 and 5k, depending on, are you paying more for advertising based off of who else is buying and when, and th- that's a real fluctuation of how you do it. And, but and our strike direct mail. Like I found five to 10,000 pieces per thing I per what purchase. What about, what are you seeing there? Inside of direct mail, I haven't done it in years, but I, oh, it okay. was very, I, what I loved, I want to go back there because the digital buyers click on far more websites or other before they find you. The direct mail is, they may have gotten 10 advertisements, 10 days in a row. And the one they got that day or others, the one in your hands that speaks to them for whatever reason they're not shopping for more use sometimes. Some people will set all the mail aside and they'll have 10 to look through them and decide which one they want to call. However, that happens. I think there's a few, there's a, it's more of a level playing field. There's not like they're actively looking at 10 other people doing exactly what I'm doing. I've really had success with writing with, with that mail, but we just haven't been doing it in the last couple of years. How, how, when it comes to the KPIs on, on the digital marketing side, how important are really good lists or are you sort of just targeting specific terms that people are searching? It's, it's, uh, it's really personal to the investor. Ours are distressed. So inside of the data of if I only did mailings and property dri- uh, drives on NODs, if I'm in that same area, the lists that overlap become really important. Like, do you have a code enforcement, a blight list that you could apply to that? Can you apply the USPS vacancy list to that? It'll ring three bells. You could probably surface 30 houses out of a list of 300 that are on all three lists. And that becomes the science behind the data is like, how many more can we, you know, like if I only had to look at these 30, like, could I target those personally? Then you have no cost. You know, can I do those drives or can I pay for those drives? There are companies right now that you can pay for a, a photo of a house. There, you know, they'll go in and open it for you. Like there are rental companies and listing companies that will let you list your home, and you could pay a realtor to show it for you. You know, it's like a thirty-five dollar fee or something, and someone will go open the door and show it. So you don't have to leave your desk, even if you understand the data better, and you can and you line the data up like that. It it just becomes so obvious. You're like, oh man, I had 300 leads, three of them, you know, the, they rang, rang the bell three times. There's my focus. 
list stacking. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That kind of thing. Just kidding. What everybody right. else calls list stacking, we just call criteria. Just keep adding criteria. Yeah, just keep adding criteria. And you can eliminate that point in time, you know, stuff over 600,000 bucks. I mean, I have a stellar resume breaking even on flips over 700K. Like it is a, it's not, it is not the Bay Area market here in Northern California. Like at like 700, the last few years, people are like, oh, that looks a little, that's a little pricey. Now, like our move up market is now like at 700, but you look at something like, oh, it's worth 750. I'm buying it for 450. Well, you put 150 grand into it and carried it for nine months. You know, like the margins just start going, start dying. Yeah. yeah, lots of surprises in the supply chain for uh, <laughs> doing repairs. Not fun. Yeah. We are about out of time. Is there anything you're really excited about this year as far as opportunity? Um, I think what it's a, the real game changer for me is tax strategy. I, I really feel like for people that are getting into why you're buying it, you, you really can think and differently. Um, people that need the write-off that are buying their first commercial property, they're they're getting out of residential and commercial, buying their first rental or other. What you buy really matters, like and how and what its price point is and how it cash flows according according to seed you're planting. You know, people really don't see the fact that you can sell that duplex in five years and buy. Uh, you know, 10, 15 units out of state, you know, or other that are cash flowing even higher or better or different. You graduate piece by piece by piece by using the tax strategy for your portfolio. It's much more than one single family rental you own that you get to drive by or other. When you, if you can take the emotion out of it, which I cannot sometimes, like I'm like, oh, I bought this thing so cheap. And I love the tenants and they have a you know, great dog and your kids are going to the high school. Or like, if you can sell something, just like what Sean had mentioned, it's it's operating at like a, a four cap if you consider what you paid for it or whatever. If you can unlock that $250,000 in equity you have now in a property and have that working for you also, there's really a strategy to doing that every two years or five years or other. So I'm, you know, I'm looking for people, people that invest in me and other that get the benefits of that when we co-invest or people that loan us money. Some of the stuff we're doing so well right now is choosing what we're keeping and how and why we're keeping it. And can you tell that story to people that want to that understand it? And, and tax strategy is something that is just really deep right now, like for how much of a benefit you can get out of it that you proactively instead of reactive tax strategy is so much different. Okay. Well, if people would like to reach out to you, where would you like them to go? You know what? Email's best. I mean, my LinkedIn is great. You know, for uh, I, there's not a whole lot of Tommy Christie's in the world. I'm not a Jim Smith or anything, but uh, <laughs> you'll see my my shiny face on there with my cute little shirt. But uh, or Tommy at ilovehouses.com. Okay, I will make sure to post all the links. Really appreciate your time today, Tommy. All right, thank you guys. Thanks, Tommy. Thank you for listening to the Data Driven Real Estate Podcast. You can find show notes and links to some of the resources mentioned in the show at datadrivenrealestate.com. Click that join the community and you'll be forwarded to the Property Radar community where you can ask questions about the current show and even see upcoming guests and ask questions there. We'd love to engage with you in the community, so check it out. Please don't forget to like, favorite, subscribe, and share on your favorite platform where you're listening to the show. It helps us out a great deal. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.